Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. As mentioned, we're in week four of our summer series where we've been looking at lessons from our 12 disciples. So today I'm going to be continuing um, our series and as mentioned, concluding our series by focusing on Andrew, actually, um, but with a couple of tangents on John and Peter. So it's almost a three for one today. I couldn't help myself. Um, But first, let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, your Wairua Tapu would be here with us today, Lord, that you would speak with us, Lord, that you would put it all with us here this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we see Andrew in Scripture outside of the lists of disciples um, a few times. There's essentially three main occurrences, um, and notably they're all from the Gospel of John. And And in each of them, he's doing essentially the same thing. He's introducing people to Jesus. And that's our theme for today. So in John 1, he introduces his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. And that's actually our um, theme, and we'll be returning to this shortly. So second, in John 12, when some Greek-speaking Jews want to meet Jesus, they come to Philip who looks to Andrew, and it's Andrew again who then goes on to make the introduction. And finally, we see Andrew feature at the feeding of the 5,000. And in John's Gospel, we discover that it was actually Andrew who found the young boy with the loaves and the fish. And while perplexed with the insufficiency, he nevertheless still introduces the boy to Jesus. And this, of course, is the starting point for one of the most well-known miracles in the New Testament. So this is Andrew. He didn't have all the answers, but he had come to know someone who did. And it seems he had started to figure out introducing people to Jesus was the right thing to do, even before the Great Commission had made it the Christian thing to do. Now, that was a a quick summary of Andrew, but as mentioned, I wanted to circle back around to the first of those three events, where Andrew introduces his brother Peter to Jesus. Now, to position this account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all present Jesus calling Simon, Peter, and Andrew, along with James and John from the shore of the Lake of Galilee. And this is when Jesus gives his well-known statement, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. However, the Gospel of John gives us some slightly earlier information, uh, a prequel of, of sorts. And that's where we'll jump into the text. Uh, for context, John the Baptist is well into his ministry. He's just baptized Jesus. God has affirmed his identity by the Spirit. And John has announced all this to his disciples. 
Now, uh, let's pick it up in John 1.35. So the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So here we have John the Baptist introducing Jesus to two of his disciples, one of whom will soon learn is Andrew. As a side note, a number of commentators suggest the other is potentially John, the beloved disciple and author of the gospel, who always refers to himself anonymously in the text. This would also explain how John knew of this unique early interaction unknown to Matthew, Mark and Luke. But either way, immediately on hearing this introduction, the two of them just bail on John the Baptist and just start following Jesus, even before Jesus has said anything to them. Jesus understandably asks what they want, and they just dump in, jump in the deep end and decide to invite themselves over to Jesus' place. A bold move to be sure, but it seems to pay off. Uh, Jesus is evidently hospitable as they spend the whole day with him. Uh, let's continue, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated as Peter, means stone or rock. So this is Andrew, day one meeting Jesus. He leaves everything he had going on with John the Baptist, has this encounter with Jesus, and after being in his presence, where does his mind go? To his brother, someone he knows who he just has to bring into the presence of Jesus. It's quite a beautiful picture. Now, let's change gears just for a moment, if we step back and think about John, our divinely inspired human author of the gospel, and we consider the picture he's just painted here with this brief account of Andrew, we can see he has captured the entire purpose and function of the church in a single person. Keep in mind that John likely wrote this gospel while quite advanced in years. At this point, the gospel has spread across the Roman Empire. In John's context, he's seen the church grow from a small group who had encountered Jesus, who after Pentecost invited more to encounter him for themselves by the Holy Spirit, who then went out and did the same and so on across the empire. For John, this pattern that he'd seen repeat time and time again 
On reflection, he saw it right back at the beginning with Andrew. Andrew, he hears about Jesus, follows Jesus, talks with him and spends time in his presence. Then he goes and finds someone else to introduce to Jesus, to bring along into his presence. That's church. That's missions. That's the gospel. Hear about Jesus, follow Jesus, spend time with Jesus, introduce others to Jesus. Repeat. Maybe a bit simplified, but I think that's the heart of it. As people who know Jesus, we help others to get to know Jesus. Now, from the big picture, um, let's drop back down into the text again. And I just want to highlight something which I think is, is fascinating that, that follows on from this moment with, with Andrew and Peter. So first, context, if you haven't figured it out, uh, I, I love context. Um, so Jesus eventually calls the brothers to be fishers of men. Um, they're following him, they're spending time with him, hearing his teaching, repent and believe in the gospel, they're witnessing miracles, even partaking in aspects of his ministry. Then at one point, he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? They respond, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah or one of the prophets, etc. And this is where we'll pick it up in Matthew 16. But you, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So this is good. Full marks for Peter. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. We can't really improve on that. However, what I want to focus on is actually Jesus' response. Blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Let's go back to what Andrew said the first time he introduced his brother to Jesus. He, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Andrew is literally Simon Peter's flesh and blood. And he literally introduced Jesus to Simon Peter as the Messiah. Yet here, after Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus is saying, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Do you see the problem? How is it we have Andrew introducing Jesus to Simon Peter as the Messiah, and then we have Jesus saying, flesh and blood has not revealed his Messiahship to him, but rather it was his Father in heaven. How do we solve this? Was Andrew secretly Jesus' father in heaven? Nope, that's what we call a heresy. <laughs> Has Jesus made a mistake? Was he wrong? Nope, fallible Jesus is also a heresy. Is there a mistake in the Gospel of John? Was Spirit-inspired John incorrect regarding Andrew announcing Jesus as the Messiah? No, again, 
that would undermine the authority of Scripture, which is a gateway for, you guessed it, all kinds of heresy. Um, so what's going on? Why isn't Andrew inter interrupting with, sorry Jesus, I accidentally totally told him the Messiah thing ages ago. Sorry, didn't realize it was a secret. Baptist John was all like, behold the Lamb of God. Um, thought it was all out there. Like, why, why doesn't he interject? Well, I believe the answer is, is quite simple. And as many of you will know, um, it's one thing to be told Jesus is the Messiah, Lord and Saviour. Um, but it's another thing to believe it. The first gives you information. The second, salvation. And it's an argument from silence, but I believe Andrew didn't interject, in my opinion, because there was no need for it. Because Peter's confession and Jesus' response was what Andrew was hoping for right from his very first introduction. Bear in mind the way Andrew and Peter began their journeys was quite different. First, we had Andrew who is presented as a disciple of John, the firebrand. He wasn't just baptized by John, but a disciple. He's someone who appears committed to the pursuit of righteousness. He even followed Jesus without even being asked. Then immediately went and found his brother. In contrast, we have Simon Peter, who seems to start a few steps back. He wasn't a disciple of John. And when Jesus calls the brothers, Peter's response to Jesus is initially a, a fearful, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. You can read it in Luke. It suggests Peter had some issues he was battling, issues so severe he felt unworthy to even be near Jesus. But that's not the Peter we see here. He's gone from saying, go away from me, to you are the Christ, the Messiah. Now we don't know when this change happened for Peter, it may have been straight after his call or at any point from there, but we do know that his understanding of Jesus was no longer head knowledge based on what others, what Andrew, his flesh and blood had told him. And this is the point Jesus is making. But it was now his own personal belief based on his own relationship with God, revealed personally by the Father through Jesus. Now we have a great picture here with Andrew and Peter, but as many of you will know, introducing someone else to Jesus isn't always smooth sailing. In fact, it's hardly ever one and done, and more often than not, it's a process that unfolds over time. And on this, uh, at college, we sometimes reference the Engel scale, sometimes called Steps to Christ. Now, this is a slight variant of what was originally developed by James Engel uh, from Wheaton College, and it's not a perfect model, but what it does well is that it shows that there's often this journey to the point of salvation. So to explain the chart, if we start down the bottom at step one, this is someone with no awareness of God, step two is some awareness of God and so on. Step five, they're investigating Jesus, all the way up to step 10, which is our decision 
to surrender to Jesus, our repentance and faith salvation moment. Then after that, we have 11 to 16 plus that represent the ongoing growth of the Christian journey. Now, it's not perfect. The journey often isn't linear. Someone might go two, four, ten, or maybe they'll regress, or maybe they'll jump straight to step five, investigating Jesus without contact with any genuine Christians, etc. But having this journey view can be helpful. And it's quite freeing to keep this in mind because sometimes we can become burdened and think, unless my interaction ends at step 10 and there's a decision for Jesus, I've failed and my outreach efforts have been futile. Whereas the journey approach helps us consider the the person before us. Where are they at? And maybe my interaction today is just helping them get from step one to step two and three by them meeting a Christian and then becoming aware of the God of the Bible. Or maybe from step three to step four by inviting them along to church. It also helps us see that the journey doesn't end at salvation. And maybe today I can help someone go from step 10 to 11 and gain some confidence. Or from 10 to 13, we see it as this ongoing journey. Now, to give the super short version of my journey, I um, didn't grow up going to church and I only became a Christian at 21 after descending into a hugely unstable but not untypical student lifestyle, to put it simply. And looking back, I can see my own journey in this framework. And I can see how various people over those first 21 years, various Andrews, if you will, bit by bit, attempted to introduce me to Jesus. And while most of those interactions didn't result in me coming to faith, in fact, none of them did bar one, each one of them helped move me bit by bit, one step closer to that final, final moment. Now, I have too many Andrew stories to share There was Mr. Mackey, a religious education or RE teacher at primary school, that's what we used to call them, who I distinctly remember. I had friends at high school who went to church who I just could not understand. I had a lady at Levin New World, a customer where I used to work, who very politely informed me that I should get to know Jesus personally, otherwise I would end up in hell. Uh, Wasn't the most gracious presentation. Andrew was having a rough day that day, but bless her, I remember it. Um, I also had a friend when I was uh, 20 who got powerfully saved, like literally overnight and entirely changed his lifestyle. And there are others. And while I don't have time to share them all, I will will share one story sort of towards the end. So back when I was a student down in in Palmy at at Massey, uh, a guy stopped me on campus with a, a survey had all of these uh, one to 10 questions about Jesus and I was on my, my way home. So I thought, I'm gonna give him the perfect survey and he'll leave me alone. So I circle 10, 10, 10, yes, yes, very important, very important. But then he goes, oh, so do you go to church? And I go, oh, I'm sort of in between churches, <laughs> which was a complete lie. I'd never been to church seriously in my life. But anyway, he invites me to this Wednesday night service in town. I said, Maybe, which meant no. 
Um, I lied again. Anyway, the next day, Wednesday, I saw the same guy a few more times, just randomly at different places on campus. And he seemed, seemed nice enough. And anyway, he invited me again, and I said, maybe. This time it meant no. Um, unless it happened to be super close to my, my flat. I was sort of intrigued. So that night, I get home, and I look up where this church, church is, just out of curiosity, and I kid you not, if this is me sitting in my flat with, with a map trying to figure out where this church is, and those speakers are my back fence, then that wood panelling over there, that's the church building he's inviting me to. <laughs> but don't take my word for it, take, take a look. That 23 Joseph Street, that's my flat there in purple, and in gold, that's the church building. He was inviting me to. So evidently, my, my maybe became a yes, and I went to church that night, and I heard about Jesus over and over again, as multiple people shared their stories of how they used to live, how they met Jesus, and what their lives had been like since. It was the first time I had ever been around a genuine Christian community, from what I could remember. And throughout that evening, it was also the first time on reflection I remember feeling the presence of God. I didn't get saved that night, and I don't think I even clearly knew what saved really was. But it was a massive step closer because of one and then many Andrews. Now, just a tangent for a moment. Uh, during Christ's earthly ministry, in a sense, it was easy for Andrew he could bring people into the presence of Jesus quite, quite simply. Jesus had a physical body on earth. The geography was much simpler. Hey, come meet Jesus. Here he is. Um, however, since the ascension and outpouring of the Spirit, the body of Christ on earth has been different. It's now represented by the community of believers, by people like us by people who gather together in his name. One of the Apostle Paul's favorite pictures for the church is quite literally the body of Christ. So today when we introduce people to Jesus, we share the truth of the gospel message that Jesus died and rose again to save each one of us from the eternal penalty of sin. But it can't be understated how much of an impact inviting people into a loving, spirit-filled community can have. A community that makes room for new people, for one another, who pray and take time for one another, who worship together, who love God and their neighbours. Or as Francis Schaeffer puts it, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. And this is what struck me when I finally started going along to church after that first Wednesday night. It was the people, people that weren't perfect, but who were genuinely interested in how I was doing. People who made space for me when I had nothing to offer. Now I kept going to that church and I eventually got my life right with Jesus on September the 9th, 2004, 
a few months later. It was during a Bible study. I was asked if I believed the basic tenets of the Christian faith, and I said yes. But this time, my yes was different. It was my own. It had shifted from my head, what I understood, into my heart, what I actually believed, and I was born again. I was then asked if I wanted to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. I wasn't 100% sure what that was, but they both sounded like really good Christian terms. Baptism was, and I was pretty sure Holy Spirit was like one of the top three. Um, So I said yes, and I was prayed for, and I started praising God, and a few moments later I was overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, and my praise turned into tongues. I closed my eyes and it was bright white and my entire world just shifted entirely. And it was undeniably God who saved me that day and filled me with his spirit. But on reflection, I was also only there after the faithful introductions of countless Andrews. And since that day, I've had many more Andrews continuing to help me forward on my walk. Now, everyone's story is, is different. We might not all end up with opportunities like Peter, Andrew's more well-known brother, standing up at Pentecost and seeing 3,000 people saved from a single sermon. But we can all be like Andrew. There's always someone we can invite and make room for. There's always someone we can encourage. There's always some way we can help those the Lord puts around us take a step forward towards Christ. These small moments are significant and the ministry of Andrew matters. Because while there were 3,000 people in the kingdom of God at Pentecost because of Peter, we must remember there were 3,001 because of Andrew. We can learn a lot from Andrew, but Most simply, we don't have to have all the answers, but we can introduce those around us to the one who does, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.